Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for February 12th of 2021. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Wallace from HockeyHeads.com. This week, we will be talking about the big front office moves the Pittsburgh Penguins made uh, in the middle of the week. The general consensus was confirmed. Ron Hextall is the new GM. He was a front runner and he won the gig. What we did not expect was that for the first time ever, the Penguins were going to have a president of hockey operations. And it's Brian Burke. Holy cow, that came out of nowhere. So big moves for the team, uh, getting away from Jim Rutherford, who quit on them. And, you know, very unique job search, given the time frame, when it happened. Um, I think Pittsburgh could have done worse here. I do think they could have done better in some regards, uh, and we will talk all about it. So, um, you know, it was kind of a, I think it was Wednesday afternoon, and I was in between classes, and I saw the Hextall stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can hold off and not really pay attention, because, you know, that was kind of expected. And then I was uh, on a DM message with somebody on Twitter having a conversation quickly on Hextall, and they're like, okay, Brian Burke. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And then I flipped back to the main timeline and it was, uh, it had happened. It was definitely a thing. So what are your first thoughts on it? Interesting that a guy that said the windows closed decided to take the job for starters. Um, but it feels like they've got two different people for two different roles over two different time periods. If that makes sense, like, Burke quite clearly is the wheeler and dealer, so the Rutherford, and obviously to try and make sure this team doesn't miss the playoffs this season. Um, but Hextel seems to be the guy for the future, for the future planning. So he'll obviously start work now in regards to trying to work out what assets he's got, where they need to fill holes in the pipeline, and to try and do that sort of stuff now. But I just feel like Burke's going to be the one trying to update the team, the current 2021 roster. That's how it feels to me. Yeah, I feel like they are being brought in for spe- uh, specific roles. Uh, I think Burke might be the the now guy more so. Uh, Hextall known for, more known in Philadelphia at least. We don't really have a, a sample of him otherwise. Kind of building prospects and being patient. And, you know, to his credit, that, that did help the Flyers. But the Flyers wanted to move on a little bit quicker than I think he was willing to. So they gave him the boot. That's not to say his work there was bad, and I happen to not mind the Ron Hextall hire at all. Um, that that one's fine. But as far as your point, <laughs> you mentioned uh, Brian Burke's comments as a as an analyst, and you know he he was a good analyst in the sense that he spoke his mind. And when you want somebody in that role, you want them to speak their mind. Some he's not everybody's. Uh, cup of coffee as far as um his analysis but um at the same time he wasn't a bigot don cherry either i was gonna say it's not a high bar to cross if you're just trying to be a non-racist don cherry but i think brian burke goes past that obviously his son who died uh he's a huge advocate for lgbtq rights and stuff like that so it's a way different scenario um altogether but um to your point he did say the window was closed um and i think the if i can pull the quote up it's it is the same thing jimmy rutherford is saying in pittsburgh i've got two elite players we're not gonna we're not going to a total rebuild we're gonna try and win i don't think pittsburgh is good enough to win no matter what they do now with their cap situation i think that window is closed for me I love Jimmy Rutherford, you know that. But I look in the East and I say, are they better than Tampa? Nope. Are they better than Washington? Nope. Are they better than Boston? Nope. <laughs> well, Brian, it's your team now. <laughs> Go get it. Well, so that's that's the thing. Is he? Did he? I just I don't understand how you can love that love that quote out there and then go, yeah, I want to try and turn this around. He owned it though. The, he owned it. He, yeah, but all the things that he mentioned are true. They've got no cap room. They've got no assets to, to wiggle around with in regards to doing what Rutherford was doing, which was add them to players to make a deal acceptable. 
you're you're at the tail end of everything right now because of the poor asset management with Rutherford trying to correct errors. So Burke doesn't have that. Uh, it's funny how we're both mentioning Burke. He's not the actual GM, but it feels as though he's going to be the guy running the show right now. I, I just don't see where they can make a change unless they do move one of the big three. And I don't want to see that happen. I want them all to finish up here. Yeah, um, Burke continued. The Penguins are not close to championship caliber. <laughs> now, like I said, he owned it. Like, they asked him at the press conference. He's like, I'm an analyst. I spoke my mind. And yeah. um, I respect that. And I don't necessarily think he's wrong. No, he's not. And you asked, well, why, why the hell would he leave that job? And I think it has everything to do with Mario Lemieux asked Morehouse to call him. And when you're getting the call directly from Mario, I I bet that's a tough one to turn away from. True. I mean, that is an extenuating circumstance when you, you hear that out loud. It's like, yeah, well, if he's going to, I might as well stick my head in and have a look, eh? So, you know, that that was truly a surprising move, and... You know, I, I I don't want to come at this completely negative because Brian Burke does have positive qualities as somebody who has um, run teams before. I'm not saying they necessarily outweigh uh, the negatives that I think we'll get to. But he is one of the GMs that I've always thought understood the value of superstar players and the need to acquire them. And he didn't hit home runs on all of his trades involving superstars. Famously, the Kessel one blew up in his face, even though Phil Kessel was a great player for Toronto. He lost out on Sagan and Hamilton, or the picks that led to. I think it was number two. Yeah. He, he bet on Kessel coming in, and then the Leafs sucked. And then the Leafs, quote-unquote, won the number two overall pick, but it wasn't theirs. So the, the thing that's interesting with that trade is that you you don't expect a guy like Kessel to drag your team out of the... Well, I suppose you kind of have to, don't you? You have to expect that the team you construct around Kessel the next year... He, he went all in on drop... Kessel being the, the guy. Yeah. yeah. And we've, you know, we've got to see Kessel firsthand. He's not that guy, but he's a freaking awesome next guy. Um, yeah, I don't think for nobody... a goal scorer, I don't think he ever hit 40 goals. Yeah. So. And and so I suppose you get there and go, you go. Oh, it wasn't his fault. It was the team. Well, he constructed the team. Yeah, you're not expecting them to be that bad that they had a high percentage chance to get the second overall pick and look where it leads you. But you know, he he does try to acquire high end talent. You're absolutely right. And then the next year it was Dougie Hamilton at number eight, I think. Yeah. So you got. A, a number two and a number eight overall for Kessel. Again, I, I, I am complimenting him in his desire to aggressively pursue star players. Uniquely to his current situation, he doesn't exactly have to go far to find them. He already has them, even if they are aging. I like it because I think this eliminates all the bullshit about you know, is Malkin going to get moved? Um, obviously, Sid was never really in the conversation for that, but I would think that he would value somebody like Evgeny Malkin. And I will also say, I do think Brian Burke respects the players that play for him. He treats them yes. well, yes. and he certainly will not publicly treat them like absolute shit like Jim Rutherford showed. Um no chance Burke would let Malkin just leave him out in the wind all summer long with trade rumors because you criticized him. And then when they ask you about, are you going to trade Malkin, you don't really snuff it out. Or if you got somebody that helped win you a couple cups, even in a, a depth role like Justin Schultz, and just treat him like absolute garbage on the way out. 
Brian Burke's not going to do that, I don't think. At least his track record doesn't speak to that. I think that's a big improvement. Um, And just other little things. The NHL has a trade deadline freeze during the holidays. That's about 10 days long or so. Brian Burke actually extends that. He believes in not disrupting the families during the holidays. That's just another olive branch of showing the players um, through action that I care about you and what we're doing here. Does that? Well, they're actually human beings. Yeah. It, I mean, that do, that doesn't necessarily mean like he gets a free pass on this other stuff we'll talk about. But I, I did want to mention some of the things that I thought, like Brian Burke doesn't have to chase a superstar per se with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, But I do think he understands they kind of need another guy too if they're going to drag um, Crosby and Malkin up to help them in their aging uh, decline. And it, it, there is a decline. Not a huge one yet. Malkin's on a four-point scoring streak, so maybe he, he's showing signs of life after the slow start. But they're going to need some more offensively gifted players and I'm sure he will understand that because that's his track record. I mean, one of the most insanely awesome trades of all time or, or draft maneuvers is Burke's move to get the Sedin twins. Like, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's a legendary, just a badass move. Um, he has put together some quality teams, but he hasn't normally got them at this part of the, the cycle, though. Well, that's, Vancouver, that's the yeah. For him. Anaheim, not as much. Um, now, did they did they win the cup with him? They, or, they did. I, yeah, but it was um, almost a Rutherford situation in that he inherited Brian Murray's pretty great work um, already did with he, already he, with Getzlaff and Perry, but to to in a similar Rutherford mold. He acquired Chris Pronger holding the Oilers hostage because Pronger's, I believe Pronger's wife didn't want to be there anymore. So um, there was a lot of leverage to be had there. Oh, I already have Rob Niedemeyer, and his brother happens to be like this really fucking good defenseman who only wants to play with his brother. (laughs) So he gets Scott Niedemeyer, Chris Pronger, one of the if you look in NHL history, as far as two defensemen on the same team, like that's an all-timer. Yeah. I believe, I can't remember, he might have reacquired Timo Solani, um, but I'm not sure. But this I will say, um, I went out with, I, I went with my father out to California back in 07 in April, and we went to two of the playoff games in Anaheim. So this was Brian Burke's Stanley Cup thing. And, that, man, that team was fucking good. I remember love at first sight for me watching Ryan Getzlaff, who I really didn't know. And I'm like, holy shit, look at this guy. And um, he he had a really good team. He put the finishing touches on it, but he didn't really he didn't really build it, I wouldn't yeah, say. Yeah, so and, that's, it's, it's the hardest thing for all of this, isn't it, Neil? Toronto wasn't a successful run for him, and I would say that Calgary was pretty pretty dull. Um, I don't think they really did much. So that's the thing that I find interesting with the hire, is that the work that we think he's done his best work with, a long time ago now, you have a look at what he's tried to do since Anaheim, it's, it is interesting to see that it hasn't gone particularly well with what he's tried to do. Yet, Lemieux was like, no, 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 I definitely want to talk to this guy. So there's obviously something that they like that obviously we're not particularly big fans of that they feel like will help this team move forward. I think it's the aggressiveness. Clearly they liked Rutherford's aggressiveness. Well, who else? Who's a bigger horse trader than even Rutherford, maybe? Well, yeah, be Burke. So you get that of, okay, make this work now. Oh, after he potentially either does well or fucks it up, Ron, 
clean it up. <laughs> clean yeah, it up. It's yeah. It is interesting that like when it all sort of came up and we had our little talks about it on Twitter, it felt it felt like that's that's the way they're looking at it, in that we're gonna let Burke sort of take control of the reins for this year and, and Hextel can go about organising himself for what will happen post twenty twenty one and beyond. And you had mentioned how he, you know, it's been a while since one of his teams has been good. Saw a stat on Twitter, something like he hasn't been in the top half of the league in 15 years or something like that. That seems a little much because they won it all in 07. But something along those lines to where it's been a while since, like, you know, we're not talking about a top 10 run program here. No, and I've, I've, I've got a lot of people I've, that are Philly fans that I follow on Twitter and their biggest complaint what about Hextel was he just it's like he fell in love with his prospects and was like, no, give it 12 more months then we'll bring the person in. So either they weren't developing as quickly as he wanted or he just didn't want to move. One thing you can say about Ray Shero is that he moved a stockpile of defensive assets to try and bring in talent in other areas where the club had holes right it was like Hextel didn't want to do that in case he traded somebody and they turned out to be a great player and then he'd cop criticism for getting rid of the guy in situations like that you just have to take that gamble so hopefully this time around he's learnt I'm sure he says that he's learnt that lesson that's why one of the reasons why he would have got the job but um, he has to acquire assets first before that becomes a particular issue and even Shero, I would argue fell in love with puck moving defensemen and did not do that great of a job of picking them. Uh, you had Simone Dupre, who um, is probably the closest of the bunch to make a, a go of it as an NHL regular defenseman. Not in Pittsburgh. I think, unfortunately for him, the concussion stuff ended his career prematurely. I think, I don't think he ever hit a ceiling. Not that the ceiling was a like outrageously high, but he could have been a useful player. Um, Joe Morrow, never anything. Derek Pouliot, famously a a bust at this point. Um, And Olimata. So he kind of held on to those players too. It was Rutherford who moved to Prey, Rutherford who moved Pouliot, Rutherford who moved Mata. Not saying Cheryl should have moved Mata out of that group, but... Um, but he he had a stockpile of assets that he could use, like he could move Ray Whitney because he had other people to fill Ray uh, Ray Whitney, Ryan Whitney. He could move Ryan Whitney to get did Kunitz. did, did that trade felt. work? Did that one work? Yeah, that certainly worked. So having and that was that was what it sounded as though the fans of Philly were waiting Hextel to do with those kinds of things to go all right, we know we've got this NHL guy that's playing already. Let's ship him out, get something else in, and have one of the kids come up and fill the hole. And that was, it feels like that was the step that he wasn't willing to take. So um, once he acquires some some assets that he feels like can step up into the NHL, it'll be curious to see who gets shipped to replace that and then obviously fill a hole somewhere else, maybe in the bottom six that is uh, situationally not great at the moment. It's just, it's so blah. I just don't know how either of these two guys can actually do anything to fix the problems the team's currently got. To your um, uh, Ryan Whitney Kunitz thing, it's got a little tie-in here uh, with Burke. Uh, Burke is the one that acquired him. and I believe Burke is the one that acquired him in Anaheim, and he was a top six player when they won the Cup. He was an undrafted uh, free agent. And I also believe he he was the one that traded the Kunitz to the Penguins. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, right. And the thing with Whitney was that I thought he was a good player. He was perfectly fine. And then he broke, his, his foot just fell apart. It was just one of those, you know, disappointing things for him. He didn't, he'd hit his peak performance in Pittsburgh. He, I just think. He was always on my shit list. Peak. Yeah, there are reasons for that. I, I but, um. That might that might actually it would have been interesting to see if it was because uh, that you know back then it was 
completely an eye test thing for me before anything else. I wonder if it was more kind to Whitney than I was, like maybe some of the advanced metrics, but yeah. Well, the thing for me is I, I think that was a fair trade. Both teams wanted that trade until Whitney busted his foot. And then he just wasn't the same player after that. And I mean, he ended up in Edmonton, the poor guy. Um, so maybe we can dive into some of the stuff that, you know, probably not as appealing to me and you about the Burke hire. And he's kind of a dinosaur. He's 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 really not going to be on the cutting edge of of really anything. So famously years ago, stats are like a lamppost to a drunk, useful for support but not illumination. You know that's it's a funny quote, but it's um you know it's 2021. Uh, the stats that we have now aren't perfect by any stretch. It's a sport of high variance. Everybody that uses them knows this, but it's a little bit more than support. (laughs) Okay. Um, They can really help you avoid the huge mistakes and illuminate those huge mistakes. So that's overstating it. He hasn't really evolved on that at all. No, which it it seems like... uh... It seems like a hire such at odds with, you know, having a guy like Sam Ventura in the organization. Yeah, I don't know where that's going to go. Obviously, um, Hextall's the GM and potentially, and I know Sam has done uh, work with the with the draft as well. Um, and Hextall, of course, that will be his his baby. So. Maybe Sam works closely with Hextall with the draft. Um, to, it, well, we need to see how this shakes out. I, I, I think me and you are both yeah. assuming yep. a little bit on Burke taking a huge player personnel role, and we don't know for sure if that's happening. But at the same time, like, why even go down that road? He wants to obviously have an input and pick the direction and that kind of stuff. Otherwise, why would you do it? He had a, a job where he could just speak his mind and did, did it very well. Um, why would you take this role on if you didn't want to get there and get your hands dirty and do some stuff? So when you see the quotes of, you know, you've got to have big boy pants on and those sorts of things and you've got to be tough and hard to play against, it's like, well, that's the way Rutherford's constructed this team. He's looked for grit. He's looked for grinders in the bottom six. And they can't generate any offense. So to reference that, Brian Burke was on, uh, let's see, I want to get the uh, correct show here. The Fan Morning Show, I believe. Correct, on uh, The Fan in Pittsburgh. And the quote, Pittsburgh's the last team to win with a small, fast team. The last three cup winners have been big. They play long pants hockey. They play ugly hockey. I think we need to look at that and see. Have we kept up with the Joneses here? I don't even know what the fuck long pants hockey is. Is that the Flyers back in the 70s when they had the, or the 80s, the the coveralls? Um, All I know is that, was he watching a different Tampa Bay team to me? I know, and I I love. We got to add that to the 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 permanent vocabulary of the two hundred hockey men is long pant hockey. Uh. <laughs> but this is this is the concern with Brian Burke. Like, what the fuck jargon are you throwing out there? And what are you watching? <laughs> like, so I want to be clear about this. I do not believe to win a Stanley Cup, you need only fast-skilled guys that are only do fast-skilled things. I understand there are there is wiggle room and an ability to shape a roster in a way that you can include guys who are indeed tough and have size. But those players are never absent skill, right? Yeah. For a cup winner. So, like, 
you just said it. Did he not watch Tampa? And this is the thing. Everybody uses Victor Hedman as the highlight of that. He's the once in a gen. He's like a Chris Pronger type guy. Yeah, Matt, right? Matt Geico called him a unicorn today on Twitter. Yeah, which perfect term. You don't. You just. You don't. You know that's Latang if he was if he was six foot six. Latang's not soft. Latang plays big boy hockey. To a fault sometimes. Well, to his own detriment. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't say that. You look at the look at the stars on the team. Tell me any one of them that doesn't go to the dirty areas, and and roughs it up. Malkin does. Crosby does. Gensel does. Latang does. Right. So all the people that you get there and go, they're highly skilled H- players. Hornquist does. Oh. Well, yeah. <laughs> highly skilled players. Um, oh. Ooh. He hey he's at, six goals he's he's on he's he's doing it in you, Florida. So you've got the guys that are doing the big boy hockey gear. They're all your high school players. So I don't know I don't know what else you where you can find big pants players that are able to cerebrally keep up with the high school guys that are on the roster. And you know um, where do you get it? Where are you get them? Jay Fresh Hockey had a great point today. Um, the most effective players at at this style for Tampa Bay were Blake Coleman, uh, Yanni Gord, uh, Sorelli. None of them are over six feet tall. So yeah, um, and, and look, it, it could be it just could be language usage in the sense of it's the language is always used. He just means that they need to be. Uh, more physical, but still do it with skilled players. Meaning the guys that they've got in there that are physical right now aren't skilled enough, and they need to change those players on the roster. I'm trying to be as kind as I can be in regards to trying to find a positive out of it. So counterpoint, Greg Brady out of Toronto tweeted today, Tigers can't change their stripes. And he's he quote tweeted the exact quote that yeah. we had. Leafs, 08 to 2014, were a remarkably easy team to play against. I don't know that many NHL players, but the ones I did, I could text after games, and they'd say the same things about taking shifts against the sandpaper guys who couldn't keep up. Referencing the the long pants players that Burke has shown to acquire and use. So I think a lot of people, you know, don't... You know, people that are partial to the Penguins don't want to think the worst. You know, it's understandable. But what's the track record here? Is Burke going to get these guys that are actually like a Chris Kunitz, which, um, you know, isn't easy to do. (laughs) He did it once, but then he also traded him away. Um you know, his sandpaper guys have never been really all that good. And in his Toronto, his most recent, his Toronto in Calgary, it wasn't all that impressive. So, you know, I, I have some reservations about his ability to, you know, execute on that in a way that makes sense for a contender. And furthermore, the only reason the Penguins are in the boat they're in right now is just because Jim Rutherford bailed on the speed skill and went to this long, <laughs> long pant hockey, whatever the fuck yeah. where, you know, it is, uh, the Ryan Reeves and beyond. That's the reason the Penguins suck right now. It suck as far as being a legitimate contender. They're of course a competitive, um, hockey team but they're not they're not where they could have been right now they're also not much fun to watch yeah i i certainly you know last night um i got done coaching a high school game i got home it was only end of a long day it's only five minutes into the first period okay i can unwind i'll watch some 
some hockey penguins haven't played in almost a week let's uh let's watch some hockey and it wasn't an active choice i was making but a few times i caught myself just either browsing reddit browsing twitter while the game was on and it was happening quite a bit and i wasn't like purposely doing it but subconsciously that's just is that not the most obvious sign that i'm not engaged with the product <laughs> that yeah. i'm just I look, like gravitating elsewhere it it is interesting in that you know i i've always thought this coaches don't like high event hockey because they can't control it right so coaches it almost always feels like they try to roll that back but if you're an owner and obviously you want to make the playoffs so you want to get to the stanley cup ignoring the gratitude of winning the whole thing it's just the extra volume of games that you get and you get to charge so much more money for them right so if you are at a point where your team starts to suck i would if I was an owner, I would rather roll to high event hockey because at least if you're going to go and turn up as a fan and your team is going to lose, at least give them something as a hockey product that is watchable so that they will enjoy watching it. Yeah, losing 6-3 kicks ass more than 2-1. Two, two, yeah, as far as, far as getting people into the barn. Because yeah, the then, other teams have cool players too. And if they're doing cool things, like that's like Matt Barzell undressing Joseph. Um, you know, Joseph's yeah. been great, uh, but that was a welcome to the NHL when one of the most gifted puck handlers gets some time and space and you don't have your gap control. So, um, and that, that happens to Latay. It's not like it's a, no, it's, no, I'm it's, not dissing Joseph. I'm just saying, I know that's what you, that's what I mean. Like it happens to fucking boring game. I don't care that the Islanders scored and, and and probably should have won that game. I don't give a shit. What I cared about was, holy shit, Matt Barzell, thank you for doing that. That's why I watch hockey. I don't need it to be a Penguins guy. I, I will I will say this with this argument. As I don't know if it's the same for you, but as I've gotten older, my attachment to the club has drifted a little because all the players that were drafted when I was in my early 20s like you know the other guys that are left are like crosby and melkin the guys that i got emotionally attached to like are those two oh oh yeah school. you might get the other one uh, we don't want to discuss that um, you might be coming back hot rumors oh, that is nuts um but those two players left and so my emotional attachment of they have to win the whole thing. It's just drifted as I've gotten older. And I'm assuming it's the fact that those two guys aren't there, more so than just life has gotten larger than watching hockey all the time. Uh, some, of so, the, some of that is combined with the fact they have won three. I think if it was only the 9 one, I think both of us might feel a little differently. Like, I can't yeah, believe that's... you wasted this era completely. But <laughs> with three, it's, well, yeah, you know... It's... Crosby and Melkin are still here. I love watching them. Uh, yeah. Rutherford fucked it up. We'll see if they can fix it. But if not, I can still watch those guys and not, like... I think most of it was you get a you get two players like Crosby and Malkin, and if you want to throw Latang in there, too, you can. You want them to cash in on their potential because it wouldn't be their fault if they didn't. Yeah. But they did. They um, and Rutherford was a part of that. The that ten month stretch, he certainly got them out of the Shero rut and gave them the ability. But he also then shut the door like Shero did. So is it is so the reason like there's no way I would have enjoyed that Barzell goal ten years ago because I'd be like, oh for fuck's sake, you know they might lose this game. Whereas now it was like that was a fantastic goal and this team. May lose, but at least I got to see that. I would have right. still been cool with it because um, I remember when Kovalchuk scored and pointed at Crosby, and I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's go!" <laughs> remember that Atlanta yeah. Atlanta um, Kovalchuk days, you know stuff like that. I I, I like that, and yeah, so I, back back in the no, day, I would I have been. Was, I, trust yeah. me, I'm with you on that. I was more. Um, 
team centric and like you know penguins lost what the fuck like almost like nfl football like if your team loses it bothers you for a few days um yeah but i think i think the move going forward at least for me and i think you is find some players you really enjoy watching and just flip around the channels and and do that well it's easy enough for someone like me because like with the nhl game pass i get no blackouts so i can quite there's no reason anybody should have a blackout i mean learn how to use the internet folks like if okay even if you don't want to cut corners and maybe go into some illegal methods let's say you buy the center ice package and you give the nhl money and they still black you out fuck them do the illegal thing for the blacked out game like come on you gave them money they're not giving you the product get creative that's the bit that i don't understand you pay the money and you still don't get to watch what it's you antiquated watch. obviously with cable tv which is antiquated but folks you know it's okay to cheat the system if they're gonna be idiots about it at least in my opinion i've i've accidentally got us on a diverging topic here we haven't really discussed hextel you know we've we've both made the assumption that you know burke's going to be the guy pulling the strings for the next little while what do we what do we think the direction of the club is after after my assumed theory that 2021 is Burke and 2022 and beyond is Hextel. We'll have to see that part play out, but the reason they hired Hextall, regardless of if he's handling the now stuff versus Burke, is his strength is building a team up. And we are entering that time period where the Penguins are going to have to go through this. But I'm hoping, at least, they don't do the Buffalo Sabres thing, even though the league is trying to change the lottery rules now to benefit, I think, the Red Wings and the Senators, I believe. Well, the timing the timing of it might be right. It might end up being benefiting the Penguins. Oh, that would be, <laughs> wouldn't that be something? That would be great. <laughs> that would set the hockey world on fire because the Penguins are the luckiest sons of bitches in the entire league going, Lemieux Yager. Crosby Malkin, like get get the fuck That's, out of here. Yeah, correct. You can't. <laughs> oh, like you can. and, and I would love it if I. Oh man, do I have the quote? Yeah, I do. Brian Burke. <laughs> yes, they got a lottery. Yeah. They won a goddamn lottery, and they got the best player in the game. Is that available to me? Should we do that? Should we ask the league to have a lottery this year, and maybe we pick first? The Pittsburgh model, my ass. They got the best player in the game in a lottery. Ray Sherrill's done a good job. He's an excellent GM and a friend of mine. But I love when people talk about the Pittsburgh model. The simple fact is they got the best player. We came in second that year in Anaheim. We got Bobby Ryan, impact player, good player. They got Sidney Crosby in the lottery. (laughs) He's not wrong to feel that way. No. And it is funny now how he says, I finally got Sid. That's funny. It is. He does know he does know where he stands in amongst everything. He is not. This is the thing that I find it, I find it very interesting in that he's not um, unaware of where he's been, what he's done, what he said, and he quite clearly understands where the game is headed. That's why I find it very odd. Sorta. That he seems so public. Yeah, he seems so publicly against using particular tools in the toolkit that are provided for him to then make a decision. I, it's the bit that I find odd. Yeah, it's a real blind spot. I think he could actually be an amazing front office person if he went in on the stats and with his other um, things that he believes in. Like, there's yeah, potential for him to... to be pretty great, but he just... He, ego? I don't know. He seems to be able to eyeball the game very well you know he when you you do listen to him when he's analyzing the game he gets it he understands it it's like he can see where teams have got flaws it's just interesting that he thinks the solutions to some of those flaws are bigger tougher stronger when 
it's like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to recreate the Anaheim team that just bullied its way through? And maybe that is what he's trying to do, but I don't think you can bully teams around the league anymore. The game is called a lot tighter, not as tight as I'd probably like. Um, You know, the funny thing is, it was probably called Lucy Goosey. Um, Or wait, sorry, I take that back. It was only a year after 05-06. The, the game was probably called tighter then than maybe even now. Mm. Coming out of the lockout. They didn't totally yeah, regress true. for a few years, which makes that team, that Anaheim team, even kind of more impressive that they were able to impose their will being physical with those rules. But a lot of those guys could skate and were awesome. And also, and I'm telling you because I was – physically in person watching and i made a point to watch how they worked their defense pronger or niedermeyer were on the ice for 90 percent of the game and that included a, like a triple overtime game it is a little bit of a cheat code isn't it i can't remember it i might have actually been at the game where luongo had the bathroom problems <laughs> oh no yeah. i don't know if that was the same series um, but it was a triple overtime game in that, uh, and I wouldn't have known it at the time. It's not like I had a smartphone. Twitter wasn't a thing. Um, but yeah, anyways. Um, so to your point with Hextall, it's, um, I think he's the right guy or he has the right strengths to move forward but i'm hoping the penguins are able to i don't want to say a new york rangers thing because the rangers got lucky with a well quote unquote lucky with um capo caco and alex lafreniere but doesn't that show you how lucky the penguins have been because the rangers get a number one and number two overall and it's that, and I have not noticed Lafreniere once when the Penguins have played the Rangers. Uh, maybe it's because I'm looking at my phone because the Penguins are pouring. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, Kako is entering, I don't want to say total bust territory, but like if he doesn't get some traction this year or next. Yeah, I think so. And then the Penguins get first and second overall, and it's Crosby Malkin. <laughs> I mean, even even if you look at Stoll, who was a second overall pick as well. And you could right? argue that was a, a fuck-up pick you, with, you with Taves right thing, behind him. Yeah. The thing with Stoll, though, is that his rookie year, he got 29 goals. I know he's playing on the wing with Malkin, and he's never scored that I don't again. think he's ever sniffed it again. No. But the, the point is, he was those those draft picks, Crosby, Malkin, and Stall, instant impacts straight away, all in the space of like four years, those guys were all picked, I think. And then you have a look at um, what happened with uh, the Oilers when they had their terrible run. Like, the Rangers rebuild really depends on whether those superstar players turn into superstars. Just because they're high picks in the draft doesn't mean that they will turn into superstars. And it's something weird with hockey. It almost feels like if your top five pick isn't a superstar at the age of 18... Yeah, you're in trouble. They may not turn out to be. It's really bizarre. You don't... Some NBA players sort of develop into it they hit 22 or 23 and then they're you know unbelievable but hockey tends to be if your top five draft pick isn't as an offensive player sort of at a point per game sort of thing early you might be in a little bit of trouble and that's really unfair like that's just it just seems to be how it feels but the rangers might have missed on two picks because not which not, is the not missed team? because they did something wrong missed Correct. because that was the year, and that was the consensus. Like, they didn't do anything, like, stupid. <laughs> they No, 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 no. They Yeah, they didn't pick off the board. They, they certainly didn't do that. So their, their whole 
uh, rebuild on the go really comes down to whether the draft picks pan out the way you would expect them to. And you're not going to know that for another couple of years. Because which is the Hughes that's in Jersey? The, Jack. Jack. So he's having a better year he, this year. This is sort of sort of my point, but it feels like his ceiling of greatness is capped a little bit because he didn't have such a great. When compared to some of the legendary top picks. Yes. And whenever you. That's a hell of a a standard, but yes. Unfortunately, like when you get a number one draft pick, your franchise is begging for that number one pick to be an Ovechkin, a Crosby, a McDavid. Yeah, he's got eight points in nine games right now with three goals. That's good. Like, that's a. And he's 19. That's good. But. Malkin joins the league and scores in six straight games. Crosby is, you know, flirting with almost a heart nomination and 100 points, um, along with Ovechkin, who won the Calder that year. Um, yeah. Steven Stamkos, Patrick Kane. Yeah, uh, so, so you look at those number one drafts. McDavid Eichel. They're franchise-carrying <laughs> franchise players. And, and the Rangers need... I mean, I think Artemi Panarin's a Oh, well, he's, he's amazing. Um, but the thing is, though, they need one of those two guys to turn into a him. Correct. And then you've got your one-two punch. And technically, if both of them do, they've got their one-two-three punch. And even the Devils so, with Hughes and Heashear. Nico yeah. Heashear is a great player. But he's not that. Yeah, and, and, and that's... That's not real. It's not the fault of the player or the franchise. The franchise. It's just the reality that their ceiling isn't that ceiling. So to so... the point, when people say, well, "I think the Penguins should start the rebuild now," you can be lucky, like the Rangers, get Artemi Panarin, get the one pick, get the two pick. It might not work. So why not ride out this Crosby Malkin thing, which you're never gonna get again? Think about how fucking good Evgeny Malkin is. Legendary. Mr. 101. <laughs> like he is stupid fucking good. He's the closest player I've seen that mimics some of the mannerisms of Mario Lemieux. Right? Yeah, yeah. The left-handed version, of course. And then Sidney Crosby probably go down as a top five player of all time. I mean, he's better than yeah. Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I saw, I saw no, the, I, I saw the Tom Brady uh, greatest of all time Wayne Gretzky stuff, and um, you know, ho- uh, hockey fans are not wrong to point out. Gretzky's absurd stats that are so much like crazy beyond. But I also then watched Wayne Gretzky's YouTube highlight thing again. And it's a bunch of fucking wonky slap shots on a bunch of dusters in the 80s. They didn't even know they could fucking use those pads on their legs to go down and cover low <laughs> like it's so fucking bad like if you talk about who's the greatest baseball player of all time like Babe Ruth's high even Babe Ruth's highlights in the 20s are like wow fucking guy could pitch look at those home runs Barry Bonds you might you know you have some ethics concerns there look at that fucking guy those highlights are amazing <laughs> um Michael Jordan are you shitting me LeBron James Fucking Wayne Gretzky's YouTube package sucks <laughs> compared to all that. I know. You're not gonna hear an argue, you're not gonna hear an argument about that on me. No, I understand. He's a product of his time and he couldn't choose who he played for and all that. Amazing player. Obviously. The great one. I loved him. He was my favorite player before Mario. I, I had a Wayne Gretzky oilers jersey when i was like three and four years old that my dad got me and we would he would record the oilers games 
on VHS and, and and we would watch them the next day. So I do love. Them. Oh, you weren't allowed. You weren't allowed to stay up till like one in the morning as a kid and watch them. <laughs> yeah, right. We were on the east in Rochester yeah. and like that. <laughs> you know, ten p.m. starts. I love Wayne Gretzky, and I know I come off being a dickhead to him, but I'm also trying to be fair to like the reality and like type it in. Type in Wayne Gretzky highlights on YouTube. Do it right now. It's not impressive. It, impressive in the sense of this guy is the best that's ever done this sport. You know what I find interesting with that is that you look at Lemieux's highlights. They're fucking awesome. <laughs> they are. But I feel like his highlights got better as the goaltenders in the league and the defenders in the league got better. So when he came in in 84, was it 80, was 85 his first? Anyway, that that window from when he got drafted to the 90s, I don't think some of his highlights were particularly impressive because everybody looked like a pylon. And that's probably a, a feature of him more than now, the Now, some of those highlights, you're not wrong with what you just said. But some of those highlights, for whatever reason, nobody would, well, Semenko being the reason back when this was back when enforcers might have actually had an impact mm. mcsorley and Semenko. this this is where the um the just the romanticizing of the enforcer came to play because i do think in that mid early 80s period it, it probably did actually have an impact whereas some of these mario highlights in the 80s that you're talking about that one in the Nordiques where Lemieux uses his reach to pick off the D to D pass, they might have even mm. been shorthanded. So it's off a faceoff. Quebec wins the faceoff. They go D to D. Mario's gargantuan reach picks it off. And then this motherfucker rides him from the red line in. Like just hacking him, trying to tackle him. And Mario still puts a deke on the goalie. Now, again. If I can make fun of the goalies for Wayne, I'm going to make fun of them for Mario during that time period. But Wayne wasn't being tackled <laughs> during these fucking dekes. For whatever that, reason, was, yeah. NHL defenders were allowed to take absolute liberties on Mario, and he just well, kept Well, because trucking. he was 6'6". Six, six. That, that's literally why. Gretzky was like 5'10". Lemieux was 6'6". Six, six. And the infraction upon the player was relative to the physical effect of that player that's the way i think hockey is called full stop most of the time in that if you lose the puck when somebody's hooking you in the hands they'll call the penalty if you don't they let it slide rather than call the penalty and you know what i mean so and back then there was one official so less angles to see stuff going on we'll give them the benefit of the doubt there yeah um, yeah that breakaway <laughs> yeah that's my favorite. That might be my favorite Lemieux goal because it's so stupid. How many times the guy hacks and, and hangs on to him. But, yeah, when you get into the early 90s, it becomes more cerebral as well as the physical dominance. And you start to see Patrick Waugh at his, at his heights. Eddie Belfort, Curtis Joseph. Like, you do start to see actual goal. Dominic, I mean... Lemieux makes Dominic Hasek look like a goddamn fool. Yeah, and he's and the best fucking his, goalie yeah, ever. ever. And not only a fool like in the early 90s, one of the my favorite um, goals um, that Lemieux scored, and this one didn't even count for anything, it was an all-star competition, the breakaway competition, and Mario went against Hasek. And he went T-bar, Hasek had him covered, and he went T-bar down in that upper right corner, right at the angle, and I mean, who else but Mario could do that to Hasek? And they're both the best at what they did. And, uh, you know, Mario won that round, and... Uh, he won that round in 01 in the playoffs as well. I'm going to just put that out there. So tell yeah. my Sabre friends that we watched those games together. That was a wild 
wild series. I loved that time in my life. Uh, um, was that the Casparitis OT winner as well? Yeah, and the, whether people want to believe me or not, um, I called that goal before the game <laughs> as a joke. I said, Casparitis <laughs> is going to win it in overtime. Because I, I, I just came up with the stupidest um, thing I could say. And when it happened, they turned the TV off on me. That's hilarious because he was the original logo of the Hockey Hurts website. Yeah, I do love him. He's he was my favorite <laughs> defenseman. Hey, wasn't he wasn't he on that Islanders team that stopped the three peat attempt? Yeah, he beat the shit out of Lemieux. Uh, still dirty on the Islanders for that. Hey, you know, Tom Barrasso could have made a save, but oh well. Uh, sounds like somebody else <laughs> they're trading back for. Um, so we went off on, you know, a tangent there, but I love, I do love talking about uh, those days and Mario and even Wayne. I know I'm tough on Wayne, but uh, he... Yeah, but it's like it's during its childhood, though. Like, that's, that's the other thing. Like, you go to that 2001 series, I'm 22 at that age. Like... You go through all the stuff that Lemieux did earlier. It's all while we were kids. It's brilliant. And it's where you fall in love. I with was the lucky that Sports Channel was a channel that I got here in Rochester, and that was Devils, Rangers, Islanders. Well, who who were the Penguins in the division? Yeah. With? And any games that weren't on that, ESPN, and thank God, ESPN's hockey coverage. Gary Thorne and Bill Clement, the soundtrack to some of the best shit ever as far as Penguins hockey. Uh, outside, I, I mean, I'm not counting Mike Lang in that. We all know Mike Lang is yeah. is the GOAT. Um, but Gary Thorne, come on. You shitting me? I hope ESPN gets a hockey package, and I hope Gary Thorne gets the moonlight doing hockey. <laughs> I don't know. He's He's in his 70s now. I don't know if he's up for it. He's doing the Orioles. He's got a cushy job where he doesn't have to do a lot of traveling. Although that one dude on the Yankees that hit like 15 home runs against the Yankees that year, YouTube that highlight package where Gary Thorne, over the course of a season, just grows despondent (laughs) as this guy keeps hitting home runs on the Orioles. That is just hilarious. He's like, why do you even pitch to him anymore? <laughs> like, it's like the 10th home run. And then he's just like, it's good. That one, that is funny. But, uh, and I'm an Orioles fan. Um, they were the farm team here in Rochester forever. I'm a big Cal Ripken person. So Gary calling baseball for my favorite team um, is cool, even though I don't follow it as closely anymore. But I do wish he was still doing hockey. Well, yeah, him and Clement were... And Bill just retired from it, I believe. Yeah, I know. I remember us talking about that with the uh, NBC announcement. Correct. So, um, yeah. So That'll probably do us. There's an interesting, uh, interesting little... Uh, detour occasionally but that's what happens to this podcast we both know that i um i appreciate how organic (laughs) some of these conversations are um that you know we might say here are some points we want to highlight obviously burke and hextall and then whatever else goes goes and uh (laughs) i enjoy where uh the places that it goes and uh we we hope you do too. <laughs> so we'll see where the Brian Burke Ron Hextall uh, duo goes. Uh, I, I will say that Rutherford wasn't the guy that was going to bring him back for sure, in my opinion. Uh, at least there's a puncher's chance of the new regime getting them where they need to go. Actually, just before we, we, we do wrap up, you know how you were talking about how shit Rutherford treated the players? Mm-hmm. And, and Burke certainly has appeared, well, certainly has treated his players and his organizations 
uh, better than what Rutherford did. I wonder whether that will be like the old new coach, breath of fresh air scenario where nobody likes a boss that treats them like garbage and you always feel a little bit shitty about coming to work. Now, I know they don't have direct contact with Rutherford, but I wonder if that feeling ever bled down into the playing group and it would feel a little bit... How do you, you as a Penguin who was on the team for a few years, look at the press clippings, or the internet, I guess there are no press Mm. clippings anymore, and see how Malkin was treated publicly and be like, yeah, cool. How does that that bode well for me? So I I suppose that's sort of where I'm I'm thinking about it. Like, hopefully that does give the players a little bit of a a, a fresh coat of paint and and feel a little bit better. Because the team needs it. (laughs) I still want to see this team succeed. I still want to see them win. I I think they need a new coach too. I won't, we're not diving into that now. Uh, Burke and Hextall, I believe, were both very complimentary of Sullivan. And I don't expect them to say anything different right now. But I do... I mean, hell, if we're doing the Brian Burke thing, let's get Brucey e. B in here too. Yeah, you see, now I've been on that bandwagon for a little while. So, but so. not Mike Babcock. Don't don't pull that shit. Oh, uh, there's multiple reasons not to do that. Fuck that noise. Don't do that. So, um, thank you for for tuning in this week, and um, we'll see you next time. Bye.